The court will now move to the second case on today's docket, MRI Associates of Tampa, Inc. versus State Farm Mutual Automobile Insurance Company. Counsel may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Good morning, Your Honors. I'm David Caldavia. I'm here today in Tampa, Florida with my co-counsel, Kristen Norris and John Oreck. We represent MRI Associates of Tampa doing business as Park Place MRI. Uh, I've reserved five minutes for rebuttal this morning. My client was sued by uh, State Farm for declaratory relief concerning its insurance policy. The trial court granted summary judgment for my client. State Farm appealed and the second district reversed. We're now before this court on a certified question of great public importance. Among other things, we contend the second district erroneously concluded that there are no longer two mutually exclusive methods to calculate PIP reimbursements for medical expenses. Based on that error, they also concluded that a PIP insurer is allowed to use the fact-dependent method to calculate reasonable charges, while at the same time using the schedule of maximum charges method as a ceiling on reimbursements. Since the no-fault statutes were adopted in 1971, I think we all know there's been a lot of significant PIP litigation about the reasonable amount of medical expenses. This was such a huge problem that in October 2007, the no-fault statutes were automatically repealed by a sunset provision. And so there was actually no PIP statute in Florida during the last three months of 2007. But in 2008, the legislature resurrected the no-fault statutes in a manner that was intended to reduce PIP litigation. The legislature did this by providing certainty with a fixed and predetermined schedule of maximum charges that will always satisfy the reasonable medical expenses coverage mandate if a PIP insurer lawfully uses the schedule of maximum charges that provides certainty to the insurance companies, the insured patients, their healthcare providers, and the courts. And it eliminates the need to litigate over whether the amount paid by the insurance company was reasonable. The second district's decision eliminates the certainty provided by the schedule of maximum charges, exposes insureds to balanced billing, and returns PIP to the pre-2008 era of litigating over the reasonable amount of medical expenses. That is not what the legislature intended when it resurrected the PIP statute and adopted the schedule of maximum charges in 2008, and is not what the legislature intended when it amended the PIP statute to codify the notice requirement in 2012. Case law explains that the PIP statute has a reasonable medical expense coverage mandate, which cannot be disclaimed in an insurance policy. And there are two different methods for satisfying that mandate. The first method is the longstanding fact-dependent method described in subsection 5A of the PIP statute. The second method is often called the fee schedule method, and it's an optional alternative method, and it's based on a fixed and predetermined schedule of maximum charges, along with an extensive set of terms and conditions attached to it. This second method was adopted by the legislature in 2008 to reduce litigation, and it's now found in subsections 5A1 through 5 of the PIP statute. In Allstate versus Stand-Up MRI, the first district held that the fact-dependent method is the default method. In contrast, we know the fee schedule method is a permissive alternative to the fact-dependent method. Because 5A1 through 5 repeatedly explain that the insurer may use it and also explains what happens if the insurer uses it. 
We know the fee schedule method is separate and distinct because all the provisions of 582 through 5 cross-reference and refer back to the schedule of maximum charges in subsection 581. 581 through 5 are all tied together. In fact, all uh, uh, appellate courts, the Florida Supreme Court and all other DCAs, other than the second district court of appeal decision below, all opinions that have addressed this issue all recognize that the two methods are separate and distinct. In fact, oh, most I'm, sorry to I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm not sure that it matters, but it's not obvious that virtual imaging was right on that. Um, and now that the statute has changed, isn't it clear that there's just this one reasonableness requirement and that essentially this, this limitation on, on reimbursement based on the schedules is just sort of a statutory default way of complying with the reasonableness requirement? Well, that's, that's exactly the argument that GEICO made in virtual imaging uh, that was rejected universally by the district courts of appeal. And the legislature could have substantially amended the PIP statute in 2012 to address that idea. Uh, GEICO had been repeatedly rebuffed on that argument by the Kingsway decision, DCI, MRI decision, virtual imaging one, virtual imaging two, all of which had been decided before the 2012 litigation. But, but counsel, let's just focus on the text of this statute. Um, and you know, there's a long complicated history here, I understand, but you know, when, I, when I just focus on the text of this statute and I see the language that says the insurer may limit reimbursement to 80% of the following schedule of maximum charges, I, I have a hard time understanding why that doesn't mean what it says, that it is, it is giving the insurer the option of limiting reimbursement in that manner, may limit reimbursement. It, it, it does not say that the insurer may elect to uh, 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 provide reimbursement in accordance with, okay? That would be one thing. Okay. It doesn't say that. Well, you're right, and Judge. And, and it seems, but it seems like your, the, the, your argument depends on interpreting that language as though it said uh, that instead of what it actually says. Now, what am I missing about the text of the statute? You're not missing anything because that, that's what the statute said in 2008. And it, it is permissive. I, I totally agree it's permissive. But what you pointed out in your dissent, Judge, uh, Justice Candidate, in the virtual image in three case, which was in 2013, it was based on the 2008 version of the statute, but the statute had been amended. You pointed out that very fact. Well, the statute says you may. There's nothing that requires this to be in the policy. But I two, thought I might have thought of that before. Right. But in 2012, the statute was amended to codify the notice requirement that the DCI MRI case uh, was talking about and what the Kingsway uh, case talked about. In 2012, the legislature enacted a notice requirement, and it says... Insurance, an insurer may limit payment as authorized by this paragraph only if the insurance policy includes a notice at the time of issuance or renewal that the insurer may limit payment pursuant to the schedule charges specified above. So it now has to be in the policy, uh, Your Honor. Now, in virtual one, it didn't have that, to be. And that's, not an issue. that's not an issue here. Well, the what? fact that the notice has to be given, that was the, that was the issue whether a specific notice had to be given. 
of of the the, the way the insurer was going to proceed, or, or or whether the insurer was going to avail itself of that uh, 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 provision, uh, that's not an issue here. The legislature's changed that. Uh, the question is whether they are restricted um, to uh, to that um, to those schedules, uh, even though it it still says may limit. Uh, it refers to the uh, allowing them to to limit reimbursement. Again, well, Judge, I, mean, I, I know the history. And, and before you answer, I would just add to that: there's nothing in the, the text of this new statutory explicit notice requirement that buys into the idea that they're two separate, mutually exclusive things. I mean, all it says is if you want to avail yourself of the limit, you have to give notice. But it doesn't it doesn't endorse any, you know, the virtual imaging view of whether they're two separate things or not. Well, there's nothing that suggests that they're not mutual exclusive. It's not, I disagree with you, Justice Munoz, but let me, before I answer your appendage to the question that Justice Kennedy asked, let, let me address Justice Kennedy very quickly. We agree that it's permissive, but it's only permissive once you've got a notice. And in this where, case- Where does this, okay, so the, but didn't the insurance company in this case include the notice that they they reserve the right to limit reimbursement to 80% of the schedule? That's a disputed issue in this case. This was a, a summary judgment case based on a stipulation of facts. And there's no evidence in this case that, that State Farm ever complied by providing a notice at the time of issuance or renewal of this policy. There's no evidence that they submitted a request for approval of any notice under 5A5 of the statute. There's no evidence that the Office of Insurance Regulation approved any notice for purposes of 5A5. But there is a notice requirement, and I think we can all agree, before you can use the fee schedules, you have to have issued a notice at the time of renewal or, or the issuance of the policy. Now, the, it is permissive. The policy quoted in the second district opinion, and the policy itself says that that they are going to limit payment to 80 percent of the fee schedule it says two things uh justice lawson and first of all let me just say because what the just because the policy says it uh, doesn't mean it is a notice that was issued at the time of issuance or renewal it doesn't mean that it was offered for approval to the office of insurance regulation it doesn't mean that the office of insurance regulation did approve it but with that said, let's read the, the language of the policy because it says two things. It says, we, this is at page 16 of the policy and page 232 of the record. It says, we will limit payment of medical expenses to 80% of a properly billed and documented reasonable charge, but in no event will we pay more than 80% of the following no fault schedule of maximum charges. So it says two things. We will limit payment to a reasonable charge and we will limit payment to the schedule of maximum charges. That probably would be okay, except State Farm then define the term reasonable charge in its policy to include the fee schedules as merely one of seven factors that it was gonna rely upon in determining whether it's gonna limit payment to the reasonable charge, which was in, one in of the my, two options it gave itself. Just to, am I correct that 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 they essentially tracked the the statutory definition of reasonable charge? 
No, they they did not, Your Honor. They they added they they added to the the definition found in five A the the schedule of maximum charges, which is a separate method. And and to answer Justice Muniz's question, if I if I can finally get to that. All the language, Justice Muniz, in sections 5A1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, every one of them relates back to subsection 5A1. They only refer to the schedule of maximum charges method. And that's important because there are ramifications, there are consequences uh, associated with selecting one method or the other. That's what makes them different. Um, we know that the two methods are separate and distinct because they have very separate consequences. Uh, the most important consequence is the balanced billing. Under 5A4, the PIP insurer uses, if the PIP insurer uses the fee schedule method, the healthcare provider is prohibited from balance billing the insured patient. But under the fact-dependent method, balance billing is not prohibited. And if I can go one step further, if the insurance company uses the fact-dependent method, Another statute, section 817.234, actually requires the healthcare provider to balance bill the patient. And if not, the healthcare provider is exposed to criminal insurance fraud charges, which is a felony level of crime. It Counsel, let me ask you a question about that. If I understood your, your argument about the, the balance billing um, and, and the way the, the remedy should work here, I mean, if I understand what you're saying, it, we should require that the uh, the fact-dependent method be used, which is because of the problems you have identified in the, your interpretation of the way the statute should be applied. So you're saying the fact-dependent, the, the, the remedy is that the fact-dependent method be used. Uh, and so that, that entails the balanced billing. But then but elsewhere in your argument that that's the that's the great evil in this whole thing so why if 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 you were why would why would that be the remedy as opposed to requiring that uh if we agreed with your basic argument why wouldn't the remedy be to require that the uh uh, uh that the schedule the, the non-fact dependent uh method be used i, I was just I, I was confused by why you how you identify the balanced billing is such a terrible thing, which I understand the concerns about that, but then the remedy you propose is a remedy that would require that. Because state, absolutely, Justice Kennedy. It's because State Farm is trying to give itself that option. It's purporting to give itself that option to use either or both of those methods at the same time. It leads to total unpredictability of how much State Farm is gonna pay for a medical bill. Yes, we want you to direct State Farm, look, you have to elect one method or the other, just like all the case law has said since 2000. Counsel, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the remedy in this case, given the circumstances that have developed in your argument. If we agree with your basic argument, you're saying, make this as bad as it could be. Uh, no. That would be the remedy, right? Well, that doesn't make it as bad as it can be. It, it provides the method that's been in place since 1971 that the legislature has chosen not to delete from the statute. If, this, if the legislature wanted only the, the schedule of maximum charges method to be used, they could have done that, but they didn't. In fact, there are several insurance companies that don't use the schedule of maximum charges method at all. They're still using the fact-dependent method and they pay claims and they don't litigate like State Farm does. 
Instead, State Farm has itself, has given itself the unmitigated discretion, unfettered discretion to pay any amount that it wants, anytime it wants. So as a healthcare provider, we don't know how much we can charge to Counsel, our patient. You are now, uh, Counselor, you're now in your rebuttal time. You may continue, but you are consuming your rebuttal time. Well, Your Honor, uh, one thing I want to point out into my rebuttal time is uh, the second district made several mistakes, and, and one of probably the most important one is that they said that an insurer may not disclaim the fact-dependent calculation. That's directly contrary to the law, and the law is that you cannot disclaim the mandate. Uh, if the law is that you cannot disclaim the fact-dependent method, then that means a, a lot of insurance policies right now are invalid. Uh, Geico's policy, all states policy that this court said elected only the fee schedule method. Those policies will be now invalid under the second district's decision. Uh, I'll, I'll retain uh, the rest of my time, whatever I have left. Thank you. Okay. Th thank you, counsel. Um, now go to counsel for uh, the respondent. May it please the court. Good morning. My name is Marcy Aldrich and I'm here on behalf of the respondent State Farm. This case poses a very simple question that this court has addressed twice before in orthopedic specialists and in virtual imaging, which is whether an auto insurer's policy satisfies what the courts have called a simple notice requirement, allowing State Farm to limit reimbursement for medical expenses based on the schedule of maximum charges in subsection 5A1. The second district found that it did. The policy uses unequivocal language that says that if an, a provider submits bills in excess of the schedule amounts, but in no event will, be they, will they be paid more than the schedule would provide. It imports the actual substance of the schedule itself, unlike even the policy this court considered in Allstate versus orthopedic specialists. It complies with the new notice provision that came into the statute in 2012 in subsection 585, which says that an insurer may elect to limit based on the schedule if the insurance policy, as this policy here, includes a notice at time of issuance or renewal that the insurer may limit payment based on the schedule. Also, I'm, sorry, also I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can I just ask you a question? And it's kind of, I'm trying to figure out sort of what our potential value add here is. And I understand that the DCA here was stuck with virtual imaging. And so they have this, they, they part of their analysis is that somehow the renumbering of the statute changed this issue as to whether they're mutually exclusive. But if you kind of put that to the side, from your perspective, what's wrong with, is there anything wrong with the analysis that the district court uh, engaged in here? I mean, I'm trying to understand why this isn't just a very straightforward issue that they, in my opinion, got right, notwithstanding whether, you know, I would have written it this exact way about the, you know, the renumbering thing, but what is there, what is there to, to add, what, what can we do to add to this or what should we do? Um, Your Honor, I agree a hundred percent. What the second district found is whether we look at it under the prism of the new statute or we look at this under the prism of this court's jurisprudence under virtual and orthopedic specialists, State Farm's policy form clearly elects to limit reimbursement based on the schedule. And it does it in a method that tracks the text of the statute. 
as far as what this court can add, obviously our position was that this court didn't necessarily need to hear this case because State Farm's policy as the second district found, its policy language is even more precise than the language this court blessed in orthopedic specialists. And therefore we think it is subject to affirmance just based on the decision in orthopedic specialists. But I guess to the extent that this court wants to give a value add, what the court can do is provide some clarity in this area because there continues to be litigation as my opponent identified as to whether particular insurers policies satisfy this notice. And in particular, the providers continue to litigate over their view, which I don't believe is actually the view in either virtual or orthopedic specialists that these are two all or nothing mutually exclusive approaches. The statutory text is very clear and it has been clear since 2008 that every insurer in the state of Florida must, it's a mandate, must in 1A of the statute, must elect to limit, sorry, to limit, to pay 80% of reasonable and medically necessary charges. Every insurer must elect reasonable. What the insurer may do in subsection 51A of the current statute is elect a limit on that, a cap on that based on the scheduled maximum charges. So to the extent that there continues to be some uncertainty in this area, which has led to this case, and to the extent that this court may wanna get out of the business of having to be the last word on every policy election of the schedule in the state of Florida for every insurer and all of their policies, what this court could bring to the table is some um, clarity on this question. Um, as far as, as I said, State Farm's policy is not only clear in its language and its adoption of the schedule itself, but it also tracks the statutory text. Because again, subsection 1A provides that every insurer, every insurer who issues a policy in the state must provide reimbursement for reasonable um, and medically necessary medical charges. But it then goes on to, in 1A, choose to follow the text and include a limitation within the limits provisions of its PIP policy to limit reimbursement based on the schedule. Now, my opponent would have you believe that somehow the fact that State Farm has contained a generalized definition of reasonable charges in its general definition section, which includes the 5A factors and also refers to um, the fee schedule itself, somehow creates an ambiguity or um, renders its election invalid. Nothing could be further from the truth. 5A, which 5A contains factors, which even an insurer who elects to limit based on the schedule must, must consider. First of all, the first sentence of 5A includes an obligation on the part of the provider. And that is that a provider may only charge a reasonable charge. That isn't State Farm's obligation. That is a provider's obligation to charge a reasonable charge. And then it lays forward factors that an insurer may, may consider in assessing the reasonableness of this charge. Some of those are things that even an insurer who elects a schedule must consider. So for example, the first factor in State Farm's definition of reasonable charges and the first factor of the 5A factors that an insurer must consider is usual and customary charges. And an insurer who elects the schedule and gets a hospital bill, the hospital bills are payable under, the limit for hospital bills is provided under 5A1A. And it says the hospital bills are paid at 75% of usual and customary pricing. 
So an insurer who elects to limit based on the schedule like State Farm must at the same time consult the usual and customary pricing because that's exactly how you would pay for those services. And so it goes on with other sections of the schedule. Moreover, you can't, you can't divorce general claims handling from the assessment of, of a charge even for a carrier who limits reimbursement under the schedule. Because for example, one of the other factors in 5A is a catch-all. It's all information relevant to the reasonableness of a charge. So for example, putting aside what source they might go to to find a charge, an insured has to look at the charges and assess the reasonableness of uh, do the medical services that were provided, the description in the medical notes match up with the price that has been charged or the code that has been assigned? Is there duplication? Or is, does it, there appear to be unfair bundling of services? So essentially, um, the petitioner's view is we should divorce all factual claims handling from pricing. That bill should come in the door and we should simply limit them based on this schedule. Um, and um, to your point, that system um, does, um, to the extent that this court wanted to find an ambiguity in State Farm's policy, it's not ambiguous. It follows the text of the statute, but also an election, as essentially my opponent has argued, benefits the insurance of Florida. And it does so in three significant ways. When a insurer can limit based on the schedule, that decreases the insurance copay. So for example, here we have MRIs where this MRI provider essentially sent bills for 400% of Medicare. State Farm limited those based on the schedule to 200% of Medicare, which on its face is not an ungenerous amount. And yes, the limitation on the schedule allowed State Farm to pay less, but it also meant that State Farm's insured, because PIP has, is a co-payment coverage, this insured's 20% was also less. In addition, to the extent that each incremental payment um, is gonna be less based on the, on the schedule limit, that means that the insured's benefits um, are depleted much less quickly. PIP is a finite coverage. It exhausted either $10,000 or $2,500 if the insured does not have an emergency medical condition. So a lower price for each incremental visit means that the benefits last longer. And finally, um, the, it, it benefits the insureds because the pursuant to subsection 5A4, the insured cannot be balanced billed for any overage beyond the schedule if the insurer, if the insurer has made the election. Um, it is State Farm's position that its policy language is quite clear, it follows the text of the statute, every insurer must elect reasonable, but it then elects to limit reimbursement based on the schedule, an option that is available to it in 5A1. By reference to factors in its definition in 5A that cannot be written out of its policy or its adjustment process. Virtual and orthopedics, under those decisions, State Farm's policy, we would not reach any different result. I do not believe actually that either of those cases make these mutually exclusive methods. There is language in virtual that um, providers have used to exploit in this litigation over the years, but there is also language that makes it very clear that that case was a notice case. The, in fact, the court um, redesigned the certified question in that case to address the fact it changed it from, can the insurer do this rather than that, to a, can an insurer use the schedule as a limit without saying so and providing notice in its policy. 
Um, so first of all, virtual was a notice case. Secondly, there is language in that policy that they don't use the words mutually exclusive, all or nothing. That is what has been written into it through litigation. The, in an orthopedic specialist, this court was very clear that reasonableness, the mandate of 1A cannot be disclaimed, that an insurer must pay reasonable, but that they can choose to limit that reimbursement based on the schedule of maximum charges. And indeed, this court rejected the argument that somehow the insurer's inclusion of the 5A factors to assess reasonableness somehow defeated that election, realizing that those were things that needed to be considered as part of the basic adjustment process. It's State Farm's position that is policy language clearly and unequivocally elects to limit reimbursement based on the schedule. There is no way that a provider who reads its policy language and submits a bill in excess of the amount provided in the max schedule of maximum charges could possibly believe that they're going to get a penny more than the schedule. The policy says, but in no event will we pay more than 80% of the following no-fault act schedule of maximum charges. If there are no other questions... If there are no questions, uh, we will go to rebuttal. I was muted. Uh, thank you, Your Honors. Um, let me address some of the, the comments my, my opponent made. Um, she said that the, the fee schedule should be used as a cap. They're, they're not a cap. In fact, 5A2 makes it extremely clear that it is the amount that must be paid. The fee schedule amount is must, must be paid or the 2007 amount of the fee schedules, whichever is greater. It's not a cap. Uh, it's the minimum as the second district held in nationwide versus AFO. Um, the co-payment, uh, council claimed that, oh, this is benefiting insurance because when we use the fee schedule method, it also reduces the co-payment. 5A4, of the PIP statute specifically says that the fee schedule do not apply to the co-payment. Does not apply, and Justice Kennedy, you just held in, in United Support, Progressive versus Florida Hospital, that no portion of a medical bill that the insured himself is solely responsible for is covered by the schedule of maximum charges. In that case, it was the deductible. The fee schedules uh, also do not apply to co-payment co or co-insurance, which is exactly what the statute says. Uh, we agree that State Farm's policy is not ambiguous. It, it's crystal clear that they want to adopt both methods at the same time. In fact, the second DCA specifically held that they tracked both methods. Now, State Farm never once took that position in this litigation. State Farm always took the position that they elected only the fee schedule method, the schedule of maximum charges. But again, the plain language of their, of their policy says that they will limit their reimbursements to reasonable charges, and they'll also limit reimbursement to the schedule of maximum charges. When you look at that statement, the term reasonable charges is a defined term. So, and if you look at their explanation of benefits, every one of the 19 claims in this case, every one of them, has an explanation of benefits form, which is attached to our stipulation. And they're at 272 through 330 of the record. 
And they all explained that State Farm used the fact-dependent method to pay for these bills. They didn't even rely on the schedule of maximum charges for these bills. Uh, just, counsel, it just seems like a strange argument for you to say that a company that basically parrots the statute, which the statute itself says, here's what you have to do, here's what you may do. And then if the policy says, here's what we have to do and here's what we may do, for us to turn around and say that that's illegal, that just doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, except that that's not what the statute says, Your Honor. They don't parrot the statute. That's the problem. They're saying that they will pay no more than the schedule of maximum charges. If I offer to cut your grass for $25 and you say, David, go ahead and cut my grass for $25 and I'll pay you no more than a reasonable charge, but in no event will I pay you more than $25. We're not saying the same thing. You're telling me that you're going to pay less. State Farm's not allowed to pay less. If they elect the fee schedule method, they should be paying the fee schedule amounts. They are not. They're paying whatever they want to pay. That leads to unpredictability and an insured patient and their doctor need to know how much each one is responsible for the bill. An insured needs to know how much are they going to have to pay? Am I going to be balanced bill? How much more coverage do I have left? Council, council, you're now you're now in overtime, but if you, I, I'll give you another thirty seconds to sum up. I appreciate that, Justice Kennedy. I think the issues are very well briefed here, and so I'm going to have to fall back on my briefs for the reasons expressed in the briefs and today. We request that you answer the certified question in the negative, reverse the second district court of appeal, especially on this issue that, that they can't disclaim the fact dependent method. Uh, of course they can, uh, and that you reinstate the trial court's judgment. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Well, we uh, we thank you both for your arguments. Uh, the court will now take a recess of about 10 minutes and we'll come back for our, our third case.